Welcome to We Lead Radio. Your hosts are June Gunter, Beth Hijack, Christine Erickson, and Morgan Reidenauer. This show is a conversation that will focus on reimagining leadership to meet the reality of 21st century business and life in organizations. The conversation is inspired by timeless, natural wisdom for how to lead through uncertainty. Now, here are the hosts of We Lead Radio. Welcome, I'm Morgan Reidenauer, and this is We Lead Radio. I'm back again with my co-host, June Gunter. Hello. Beth Hijack. Good morning, everyone. And Christine Erickson. Hi, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking about culture, organizational culture, and the role that leaders play in creating that culture. To get us started, June has a few comments, and then we'll dive in with the rest of our co-hosts and talk about our perspectives on this matter. June, what do you got? You know, when we created Teaching Horse, it was with the intent of bringing a model of leadership forward that creates healthy, sustainable communities. Healthy for the members of the community and also healthy for the leaders. Because, you know, 15 years ago, maybe still today, that was really missing in a lot of the organizations that we work with. So we started studying horse culture with the intent of bringing the lessons that they have learned about how to create healthy, sustainable communities to our organizations and businesses, and even how we live with our families. Um, So I think they have a tremendous amount to teach us about how to create cultures that are healthy. And Um, I've invited everyone to just share what are some of the things that you've learned about horse culture that actually create healthy communities. And, you know, I'm going to start with just one of the things that I have witnessed time and time again, which is the interplay between the various roles of leadership and how there is an equality that exists among the various roles and you know i'm sure our listeners have heard us talk about lead mares and lead stallions and sentinels or leading from the front and leading from the middle and leading from behind and to watch it play out is really incredible and i was i was watching our herd one day and yanni was enjoying a fresh pile of hay and hope came up behind her and really asked her to move forward and and Essentially, Hope was saying, will you let me move you forward? And even though Yanni is lead mayor and and Hope is sentinel, Yanni politely moved forward. And her response is, well, yes, of course, I'll let you move me forward because we're in this together. And then right at that point in time, after Hope had moved Yanni, Harley came up and moved Hope and said, now, wait a second. If you can move her, I can move you. And we can all move each other forward when it's time. And people ask me all the time, what is the difference between how these three roles play out and traditional notions of hierarchy? And and the difference is these horses share leadership. None of them outrank each other. Reality determines the final answer to what to do next not any one horse 
And I think that is what makes them agile. And that's the fundamental underpinning of their culture is that we play different roles, but we're all leading. So I'm going to, that's just one idea that I've had. So I want to turn it over to whoever would like to start next. Something that you've observed or experienced. You know, one, one of the things that really stands out for me is the way horses also share energy. So the way they share a mood or an emotional atmosphere. And I think that this is so important to me about horses because there's so much respect, I think, conveyed. The herd leader does not ever ignore an energy shift of another horse. So in my herd, our herd leader, Clyde, will notice when the energy of another horse, say Maisie, shifts. Maisie notices something, she lifts her head, she tenses up, she's a little concerned about it, something off in the distance. Clyde, his first job is to notice that, and he does. And then his second job is to give her some feedback on it. So he notices and then he shifts his energy in response to her energy depending on his assessment of the threat. He doesn't leave it unaddressed. So he takes her seriously and he, he hears that energy shift and then he addresses it. And I think it's, it's so important for people to do that as well. I think it's really easy to, to ignore shifts in energy from your people. And I think it's, it's really easy not to engage in it, to try and maintain your own energy. And I also think there's a danger of just being overtaken by someone else's energy which also only happens in a herd when that's in the best interest of the herd to shift their energy altogether. So if one horse notices something that is a danger, a strange dog on the horizon, they'll shift, the other horses will notice, and everyone will shift up together. So it doesn't, it doesn't overtake the herd and send them into a panic, but everyone shares that energy feedback, that, that mood, that atmosphere, which I and think you know, is a huge aspect of culture that I love what you're saying, Morgan, and that that collective presence is what is required to achieve true unity. That's it right there. Yeah, I think um, to dovetail on that, what I notice and what I love so much about horse herds is that noticing as well directly related to the health of the herd. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows what that status is at all times. And I think whether we look at families, as you said, June, or communities and organizations, we kind of lose individuals at times, or we lose ourselves, we withdraw. And, and it related to the energy that you're talking about, Morgan. And so we might notice something, but do we make that same move that you described the horses moving? And do we close that loop on whatever that the state of things is? And I think that's where we really lose those, what I call unity concepts or one legacy concepts. And I think that's where we're really good in organizations is at the concepts, but that underneath of really being connected and knowing how people are at those different levels is what makes the difference and what solicits that, that true and authentic participation from people. Because you can... You can design a campaign, a leadership campaign, a company campaign that speaks to that connection or that well-being. But at the end of the day, do you really know how people are left feeling and are they connected? When we were at Return to Freedom a couple of months ago, 
and those 75 or 76 wild horses moved in unison multiple times for, for different reasons. That is what an organization should feel like, not because everybody's the same and because everybody has the same role, but because every, you know where everybody is and because there's a purpose that is driven in the same direction. And there's nothing more beautiful than that image to me of what is possible in leading organizations with a new cultural perspective. You know, I was listening to you all and what I'm about to add to our conversation, I think fits into everything that everyone else has mentioned. But when I, when I was thinking about this question, it's, you know, the thing I love about it that organizations seem to be struggling with is this generational piece. And in a herd of horses, everyone has value, no matter how young, how old, what their role, there's all, all members have value. And they offer ways to teach each other, no matter where they are on that spectrum of generation. And they're present with each other. And one of the things I love watching in our herd, especially because I've been so privileged to watch them, is their teaching moments. And their teaching moments are meant to encourage growth, to encourage sustainability and harmony. And they're, they're not personal. And I think in so many of our organizations, um, we get lost in that personal aspect sometimes. It's like, you know, I'm sure therapists are really glad they have patients. And um, what if in an organization, those moments were about how do we grow each other and we don't walk away with, do you remember when la, 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 did so-and-so, that residual things. Horses don't walk away with residual crap, for lack of a better word. <laughs> I know, I have an MFA. You think I'll come up with a better word than crap, but that's what it is. It's a pile of poo. Um, they, they know in those moments that it's for the benefit of all. And they're lovely to watch. And, you know, sometimes there's a bigger conversation between them. Sometimes it's a little. Sometimes the conversation is one you're not expecting at all. But they allow for the possibility mm. of it. Um, and they stay present. And when they let it yeah. go and they don't hold grudges. Right. They don't like, keep yeah. lists of every moment of disrespect they've ever interpreted or experienced right yeah go ahead christine and to that what you're both saying is i love that because we notice that and we teach that and yet what is underneath that horses don't treat each other the way we treat each other so much of the time Um, horses are seen they are required to be congruent and authentic so if we invited that in our teams and organizations in our families in our relationships where the energy that is spent in what I call that sort of dance of in, dances with integrity, you know, mm-hmm. should I be myself? Should I not be myself? Should I say this? Should I not say this? Right. If we could, we could hone in on all that energy spent in that and be, be present, maybe our outcomes would look a little differently too, in terms of forward, forward movement and forward vision. Absolutely. And one thing I do want to add um, to those of you out there who have, 
had experience with horses or maybe those of you who don't have a lot of experience with horses we at teaching horse and and on this program are lucky enough to be around healthy herds of horses however horses just like humans also have times when they're unhealthy and they too make these mistakes or end up in herds that don't have healthy cultures usually that's because they've been influenced to be that way by people but horses too can fall off and horses too can teach each other and learn to get back to a healthy herd so i think that's important to keep in mind they're not perfect creatures but left to their own devices they have found some amazing ways to stay healthy and unified we are going to take a quick break but we will be back and introduce our guests we would love to hear from you about what you've noticed in horse culture or what you have found to be helpful in creating healthy human cultures in your organizations. Tweet us at We Lead Radio, email us at leadershipconfidence at teachinghorse.com. We would love for you to join the conversation. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Teaching horses on the frontier of leadership development. Get out of the office and into the field to learn what horses have to teach us about leading through uncertainty. Teaching Horse is recognized worldwide as a premier provider of executive and leadership development with horses. Work side by side with horses to apply a simple framework for leading through uncertainty. Practice using attention, direction, energy, and congruence to elevate confidence in your leadership. Contact us at teachinghorse.com to meet your executive leadership and team development goals. Are you among the many who believe it is time to reimagine leadership for the 21st century? Are you considering stepping up to a new level of leadership? If so, we have a resource for you. Go to the Amazon Kindle store and order The Choice to Lead by June Gunter and Beth Hijack. In this book, the authors share what horses have taught them about leadership that will prepare you to take confident steps in the direction of your future. Download your copy today, and we look forward to supporting your growth as a leader. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. are tuned in to we lead radio tweet us at we lead radio to share your thoughts or questions or send an email to leadership confidence at teachinghorse.com again that's leadership confidence at teachinghorse.com now back to this week's show welcome back everyone it is my honor to introduce to you dr laura wood and she is the Senior Vice President and Chief Nursing Officer of Boston Children's Hospital. And uh, what I want to say about Laura is some of you may have read the book Good to Great. And in this book, they talk about what's required of leaders to actually create 
extraordinary organizations. And I don't know if any of you know the about Boston Children's Hospital, but what I can tell you is that they are the number one ranked children's hospital in the United States. And that level of performance doesn't happen without great leadership. And the author Jim Collins of Good to Great says that level, this level of leadership, he calls it level five leadership. And they are characterized as people who have tremendous humility and fierce resolve. And that is exactly how I would describe Laura Wood. She is committed as a learner, and she's also dedicated to improving the health of her community. And she is guiding the future of the direction and discipline of nursing by participating on boards such as the Harvard Medical School for Bioethics, the Joint Commission, Press Ganey. She's also on the board of John Hopkins School of Nursing. And she has a voice that needs to be heard, and we're happy to make that happen. So, Laura, welcome. Well, thank you, June. It's a pleasure to be with you all. So I'm going to ask you to just jump in and contribute to the conversation about how what you've learned from horses has affected how you establish relationships as a leader. Tell us one of your stories. So I was thinking about um, my, my journey with horses, which um, was uh, consisted of some time at, at Camp Fire Girl Camp when I was in <laughs> elementary school, and it was um, truncated because my sister had a, um, a serious uh, misadventure riding a horse, and my mom said, uh, no more horseback riding in our family. So fast forward uh, 40 plus years, and I had the pleasure, as you know, of of joining you and your team uh, at Teaching Horse about six years ago when I was a Robert Wood Johnson Fellow. Um, <clears throat> during that time, I had um, a great experience uh, living and learning from animals. I've lived and uh, loved dogs my entire life, but um, standing in front of a large stallion was um, intimidating to say the least. Um, when I was part of a group, uh, a group of seven who um, took this journey and opened the door that, or walked through the door that you all had opened for us right at your farm in North Carolina, I think that um, within the Robert Wood Johnson Fellowship, which is, uh, was a great gift and an opportunity to work with other senior nurse leaders throughout the United States, one of the, one of the statements that we were challenged to consider and to apply were the words, trust the process. And I thought about that mightily that day as I was standing in front of Dakota, who was a beautiful and gentle stallion and yet one that intimidated me quite a bit. And I think it had that effect <laughs> on my group, none of whom were native horse people, shall we say. How do we uh, communicate with this beautiful um, horse, and how do we um, help, to, help to understand one another between and amongst us all? And it was pretty quickly obvious that that was 
uh, very consistent with the challenge that leaders face in, in all settings, including in our, our workplaces. We, um, so I think the first thing I would say to your question about one of the lessons is to trust the process, trust the challenge before you, trust the people you're with, and trust all members of the group. And I will tell you that I think of this so often in my daily leadership practices. I do it unevenly. I find myself um, more often than I wish to admit thinking, oh, boy, this is, this is a situation that we need to apply some quiet muscle to or do something outside of the group. But most often when I can return to a more trusting place and seek the um, assets of every member of the group and, and allow myself to be in the group and part of the group, appreciating the shared leadership that it's not all on me, um, those are where the most powerful lessons arise. I totally, totally get that. And I know you're on the journey of creating a, a high reliability organization. And, um, and that in itself is, is a, a healthy work environment, a healthy culture. And, and I would love to hear, as you've been going down this path, what is required of you as a leader to help create a healthy organizational culture? So I, I think this is the, uh, the great journey for all of us, no matter whether yes. you're in healthcare or any setting that you're in. We, um, our journey at Boston Children's has, uh, to be a high-reliability organization has been longstanding. I've been in the organization now about five and a half years, and um, in many ways it predated me, but we did, we did engage some outside uh, colleagues to work with us who had done this work in other organizations in healthcare had drawn the lessons of other high reliability teams from nuclear safety to other kinds of industrial settings where safety and and uh, risk were were very prominent and and understood and in our journey over the last four to five years we we embarked on something where we said we want an equal measure to be concerned about the health and well-being of our care team members. And, and we consider the care team to consist of both hospital employees as well as the patients and families um, who come and seek our services. And <clears throat> at the same time, we, um, we're, so we're thinking about employee or, or um, um, safety at the same time we're really thinking about um, the care that we're delivering. We've learned that there's a need to think about safety and quality and experience um, all in an integrated kind of way. So, um, and in fact, many organizations nationally have embarked on this journey, many healthcare organizations. I number it in the thousands and in part, probably every healthcare organization is thinking about quality and safety every day. But we embarked on this in a way where we said um, we want this journey to be one where we kind of fundamentally reshape the culture, where we do put greater attention on caregiver well-being, that we're not just devoted to doing things that benefit patients, um, because at some point that's going to harm our culture and our peop- we will have asked too much of the people around us. 
this is demanding work and and um, and emotionally challenging work as well as physically difficult work for people doing shift work or um, even exposing themselves to different risks in the environment. So, so the high reliability work has really become the touchstone for our culture transformation. And we um, were soon to celebrate our 150th year. We were one of the first children's hospitals in the United States. And we continue to relearn what the opportunity is to um, build this uh, and evolve our culture. There's so many important messages in what you said. And, you know, I have this experience routinely where when we bring people together with the horses, it starts out as a herd of horses and a herd of humans. And very quickly, it becomes one herd as they begin to care for each other. And I I can't tell you how much it warms my heart to hear you integrating both the caregiver and the cared for into one herd. And that really is the only way to achieve what you've set out to achieve. It's, it's beautiful to hear you talk about it. Thank you. Your, your framing is, is also helpful for me to hear because that's precisely what we're, what we've embarked on. And many people who enter healthcare professions uh, are very outward directed and take solace and joy from, from doing for others. But um, that's not a sustainable model if we're not caring for ourselves and one another at the same time. And that's, that's where a lot of our work and focus is now. Well, I know you're on a really important journey and I have a question for you. What about being a leader at Boston Children's Hospital gives you joy? So I have a lot of joy. I have. Uh, I know you do. Each day is full of fun, but I will tell you that, and and I think when we um, we spoke a little bit about the hospital, Boston Children's has long been a a place of hope and innovation because we're doing and testing new things. We're the largest um, children's uh, or pediatric research facility in the world. So the opportunity to actually fundamentally change, possibly cure or at least reshape and improve the lives of, of children and therefore, you know, to um, give hope and opportunity for, for families who join us is, is a source of great joy. And the care team, of course, is innovating all around that all the time to, um, to decide how to incorporate that new scientific breakthrough or that new procedure and how to, how to help it to be safe and effective the um, the opportunity with colleagues surrounding all that is really one of continuous learning. So to be in a place where you don't know, you know you don't know, and yet you're being asked to walk into the unknown and to um, together collectively um, make progress towards something is is um, exciting, it can be challenging, it can be frightening at times, but um, we have our share of successes and it's because of what we do together. This is so exciting. I, I, um, I want to hear more. We're going to pick up after the break. Christine is going to guide us in the next part of the conversation and we're going to talk about how has operating with shared leadership actually led to improving safety. So 
Thank you so much, Laura, everyone. We will see you on the other side of the break. Don't forget, you can tweet us at We Lead Radio or email us at leadershipconfidence at teachinghorse.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Teaching horses on the frontier of leadership development. Get out of the office and into the field to learn what horses have to teach us about leading through uncertainty. Teaching Horse is recognized worldwide as a premier provider of executive and leadership development with horses. Work side by side with horses to apply a simple framework for leading through uncertainty. Practice using attention, direction, energy, and congruence to elevate confidence in your leadership. Contact us at teachinghorse.com to meet your executive leadership and team development goals. Are you among the many who believe it is time to reimagine leadership for the 21st century? Are you considering stepping up to a new level of leadership? If so, we have a resource for you. Go to the Amazon Kindle store and order The Choice to Lead by June Gunter and Beth Hijack. In this book, the authors share what horses have taught them about leadership that will prepare you to take confident steps in the direction of your future. Download your copy today, and we look forward to supporting your growth as a leader. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to We Lead Radio. Tweet us at We Lead Radio to share your thoughts or questions, or send an email to leadershipconfidence at teachinghorse.com. Again, that's leadershipconfidence at teachinghorse.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, everybody. We are here with Laura Wood of Boston's Children's Hospital, and we are continuing our conversation about creating a culture of shared leadership. Laura, as an advocate of team-based IPP or interprofessional practice, how does shared leadership improve safety? And I also just want to ask quickly for those who are outside of the industry or that terminology, if you could briefly share a little bit about what IPP offers and your perspective on that. Sure, I'd be happy to. So it's, um, I think this is, this is probably something of a universal as, uh, as folks are prepared in a given academic discipline. Uh, we tend to stay in our comfort zone and we, we tend to have plenty to think about to advance the work within a given discipline. But um, increasingly in healthcare, we realize that those silos can be sources of tension. They can be sources of risk when yeah. um, handoffs and communication across these different groups um, isn't smooth and isn't accurate or complete. And so increasingly in healthcare, there's a focus on how do we build bridges um, and really support boundary-spanning leadership and, and working across groups to incorporate the insights and wisdom of, of, in, of individual disciplines and blend them into more of a team-based focus. Very consistent, I think, with some of the framework of, of teaching horse. Mm-hmm, absolutely. 
And how does shared leadership within that framework, how has that or how does that and can that improve safety when you talk about, you know, the sources of risk and meeting that together? Um, that's right. So there's, um, it's the rare moment that you would deliver healthcare by one person, one discipline in isolation. In fact, I could probably argue that never really occurs. You might have an individual point of contact with a provider, but it's always in the context of uh, a team-based plan or a, a team that's helping to support the, um, that interaction. The, um, the, uh, the work of teams is, is essential because the, the uh, complexity of the work really demands multiple perspectives. And, and again, appreciating that those multiple perspectives and multiple contributions are each essential and are each to be valued. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so within that, so we have that as a concept or framework. And so in making that a reality and really valuing those different perspectives and creating a culture of shared leadership, what are some of the nuances in doing that that you have noticed or experienced? So I don't know how, um, how nuanced it is, but, you know, we always have the challenges <laughs> of power and hierarchy. We have the distinctions of status having to do with um, historically physician leadership um, relative to others in the healthcare system as generally having been highly valued. We have, um, you know, issues of, of generations and um, those with, with more uh, time in a role um, or time on the planet Earth um, may have different positional authority. And trying to break down all of those barriers to really say um, this is a team um, with everyone having contributions to make and we're going to do our best work if we um, find a way to listen and, and um, give equal, um, equal measure, equal importance to, to each of those roles within, mm -hmm. within a given healthcare um, encounter or uh, decision point. Mm -hmm. So conceptually, when we're talking about, and this can be for any organization, when we're talking about um, seniority and, and some of the other pieces that you mentioned, in your experience, what, what was the, my curiosity is always, what is the invitation for people to shift to create that new yeah. culture? And was safety within the healthcare and your, your environment, was that the driving factor or was that just one driving factor? I'm really curious about that space. So I think that's a really important question. I, I think the, the framework of what's the invitation to shift. So sometimes I think that invitation is aspirational. We're all looking to do our best work. We're looking to mitigate risk, to reduce harm, eliminate preventable harm to both caregivers and to those we care for. And, and sometimes it's born out of crisis. Something occurs. Um, there can be um, a harm situation. And when that happens, that's devastating for the care team. And so we, we look at that and we try to learn from it. Or in addition to, quote, learning from failure or learning from those opportunities where things go wrong, we're also increasingly trying to focus more on the side of appreciative inquiry. How can we learn from situations that go really well? We're hard on ourselves. We tend to focus on when things go wrong. We think there's yes. equal measure to learn from the things we're doing well. 
Um, so I think it's both, those invitations come from both failure and from success. Great. That's a beautiful way to frame it. Thank you. And in, in terms of preparing people within this, you know, to come to this space of shared leadership and, and new culture, what can, what can be done to best prepare people for this change? So in your I think experience. that, I think, that um, I think learning by doing is, is mm. one of the most important kinds of preparation in being with so those are simple concepts, um, easy to say and hard to do, I would say. Mm-hmm. But I think it's less about um, less, less about didactic content and more about um, modeling new ways of working together, being with people, being present, and um, being with with teams in a way that that you you enter respectfully as as um, individuals who have perhaps positional authority in an organization. Um, and as you enter, you do it in a respectful way, realizing that um, you just have another perspective. You don't necessarily have a better perspective, but um, asking the group to um, open more widely, to think about a perspective that you would like to bring, and then making sure that that leader also takes time to um, listen, get feedback, and um, be open to being reshaped by the group as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What for you personally in your leadership experience stands out the most in this shift? It, it sounds like you've been in this movement for a while, and particularly at Boston Children's. What is, what is one experience that stands out or one part of this shape-shifting, shall we call it? <laughs> <laughs> so I will, um, I will share with you that it's very much ongoing. And as we focus more on this culture shift, there's more honesty that's coming forward. Mm-hmm. So it probably won't surprise you to know that, um, you know, being in an academic setting that... Um, has a long tr- long set of traditions and and is held in high regard in in many dimensions is also one where there's a lot of tradition to work through and so um, we're probably not at the forefront of doing this work there's probably organizations that um, have uh, started the the journey from a different perspective because they're not unraveling 150 years of history of how they've worked together. So we're, we're, um, we're very much trying to say this is our moment to do something quite different than those have led us to this good place that we're at, this place of distinction and where we're able to contribute to the health and well-being of, of children and families and communities in important ways in science. Um, but we're saying we think this could be uh, better and healthier than it is right now. So we in no way think we have conquered this. We, we feel we're still really quite early on our journey. Mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate the distinction of acknowledging the portal that you came through, that that history is different for everybody. I think we can speak to these shared models, but how we get there, how we come in and, and what we create in between is very distinct in, in a way. So I appreciate that. I think that. that's right, yes. You know, I can I can hear in your voice that 
you really understand the complexity of the challenges, especially of innovation and of coming up with with new forms of, of treatment that have never been invented before. And I think when I listen to you talk about being willing to be reshaped by the group, that just rolls off your tongue like that is a simple thing to do. And mm. it's not. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to be open to other solutions. And it takes practice in realizing there's a benefit to that. And my my gut tells me you've probably had experiences where the group came up with solutions that worked and that made you willing to try again. Hmm. That's absolutely the case, June. It's, um, in fact, it's, in fact, I can't think of a time where that wasn't true. I can think of several recent circumstances where there was some polarization and some frustration by uh, different work teams. And as I became aware of that and and participated uh, to hear more what these concerns were and things that we needed to address, I what I really came to appreciate was that um, something had broken down in terms of how we were listening uh, together, how we were working together. Uh, sometimes people think in a crisis the right thing to do is to double down and work harder and uh, to have a, a handful of people try to work something through. And those are the times where um, I keep relearning, and boy, I've relearned this many times, <laughs> the opportunity to get um, to trust what the group already knows and to um, work um, to change things based on what the group instinctively knows and then add to that rather than struggle with um, what the group is communicating that they know may be antithetical to what other people believe or know, but trusting that process, trusting what that group is saying, and working kind of from the inside out to evolve further um, to a, a healthier solution. So those have, those have been huge learnings for me and continue to be. You know, Laura, it's, it's definitely my experience that when I think about the talent and the commitment of so many of the frontline nurses that I work with, they're just waiting for someone to trust them. <laughs> that, is, that is so true. And based on all the things that I said, you know, it's, I remember uh, my day as a frontline staff nurse um, being a young woman in a sea of important, uh, largely male physicians around me and and speaking up on what I thought I um, what I had identified as an important observation for a patient, um, but being very hesitant to communicate that. So being able to overcome hierarchy, being able to speak up and to share a truth, a clinical truth or a personal truth, is is really essential to having a healthy work environment in healthcare. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Laura. We're going to go to break. And as always, you can tweet us at We Lead Radio or email us at leadershipconfidence at teachinghorse.com. We'll be right back.
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Teaching horses on the frontier of leadership development. Get out of the office and into the field to learn what horses have to teach us about leading through uncertainty. Teaching Horse is recognized worldwide as a premier provider of executive and leadership development with horses. Work side by side with horses to apply a simple framework for leading through uncertainty. Practice using attention, direction, energy, and congruence to elevate confidence in your leadership. Contact us at teachinghorse.com to meet your executive leadership and team development goals. Are you among the many who believe it is time to reimagine leadership for the 21st century? Are you considering stepping up to a new level of leadership? If so, we have a resource for you. Go to the Amazon Kindle store and order The Choice to Lead by June Gunter and Beth Hijack. In this book, the authors share what horses have taught them about leadership that will prepare you to take confident steps in the direction of your future. Download your copy today, and we look forward to supporting your growth as a leader. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to We Lead Radio. Tweet us at We Lead Radio to share your thoughts or questions or send an email to leadershipconfidence at teachinghorse.com. Again, that's leadershipconfidence at teachinghorse.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, everyone. We've been having an amazing conversation today with Laura Wood. And I would like to invite Laura to give us a call to action to leave us with today. So I kept thinking about this idea of humbleness and this mm-hmm. idea of being comfortable with um the fact that we are always early on a journey to something um, that we we hope and that we hope will take us to in new directions, I think this humbleness um, is not something that is particularly valued in a lot of business situations. In other words, people like people who have solutions. They they want to hear the playbook that's A and B and C. Um, but this idea of having confidence, um, integrity, and being accountable, how they all fit together, I think is, is really very, very important. Um, but getting comfortable with this idea that we are mere mortals, we are, um, um, that perhaps our strongest capabilities are, are more being respectful and listening um, that through that lens and through that work, I think we have, we can harness groups and organizations to work in new ways together. So that, that's where I would land. And for me, it starts with 
this humbleness and authenticity. I, I think that is, those are two key things that uh, a lot of organizations, I think, are trying to bring to the forefront as qualities of strength in a different way. And I don't think necessarily they have been viewed like that. And they are necessary. And, and horses do it all the time. It's just amazing to watch horses invoke a sense of humbleness in any situation. And the piece that yes. you said about that we're always moving forward. There's, there's nothing constant. It's an ongoing conversation, learning, interactions, and adaptions. And that curiosity that we bring about shifting from traditions and also, what does it mean? How does being humble and authentic add to creating a culture of shared leadership? So I yeah. thank you so much for those, that you're, offering. You're welcome. I think it, you know, to me, it creates the space for others. And that's really the, the essence of shared leadership. Yes. We are all holding our hearts right now. You speak the truth. Uh, I like to invite my co-host uh, to share a takeaway from our, our conversation today. You know, I'm going to return to my favorite physicist, Richard Feynman. And his words are just ringing in my ears right now, which is not knowing is so much more interesting than being attached to an answer that might be wrong. And that is the ultimate humility, which is, deep in your heart, knowing there's always more to discover um, and that the discoveries usually come in conversations with others. Well, they're pretty boring by yourself, don't you think? I don't know. The ones I have in my head are kind of interesting. I like my conversation. Well, yeah. Well, you know, at some point you would like to share those. I, I can I can myself for a long period of time with my own conversations. No rebuttals. No, no. But I get your point. I mean, innovation does not happen without conversation. And conversations don't happen without trust. This is true. This is true. That's a great one. Well, I, I, I think that idea of conversations don't happen without trust. That's really an important thought. I, I am having to um, get past what really, really strongly came up for me when you reminded us all to be humble, which I will encourage our listeners to go listen to a little Kendrick Lamar, who has a song about humility and clearly says, sit down, be humble. So it's a great reminder and one that really resonated with me, um, something I'm always striving for. But it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. I know. You can laugh. It's hard for me, but I try. Um, I also, I just love the, these, these tools that you offer of how do you successfully reshape culture by entering with respect, encouraging engagement, and to me, so important, remaining open, not only to influence the team, but also to be influenced by the team. I think that's what I love most about the horses that are important to me and what I have learned most from them as a way to achieve success and harmony and unity. So I'm so happy to hear that echoed in your experiences as well. It also works for humans. Yeah, I think... Uh, something that you said in an earlier segment, Laura, about when you don't know 
or and you know that you don't know <laughs> and and the risks around that i think that that spot that really key spot in organizations um in all types of leadership how to again invite permission in those spaces so that we can come together um and whether that's safety whether that's innovation um connection all of those things that we need for healthy organizations i think that spot is a really key one um so i really appreciated that in the conversation and i'm still reflecting on that um in terms of what well, and i what I we appreciate, offer i i i greatly appreciate and and part of what you're hearing me share today has was strengthened through the time i spent six or seven years ago um, on that important day in North Carolina um, mm -hmm. with the horses and with all of you and with my colleagues. Um, it had a huge impact on uh, the way that I have uh, continued to lead since then. And uh, I carry it with me, and I've appreciated the, the learnings from your books and your teachings. Oh, it's our pleasure. Are you kidding me? Um, being able to spend time with people like you is why we do what we do. Um, and to be able to hear how you've translated it into how you continue to think about building leadership relationships and about how you have found a way to invite in the other because it's in service to everyone. I, I think that's right. I am honored. The feeling is mutual. Go ahead, Ben. You know, I I've been thinking about the, the whole conversation. I was thinking about congruency or congruent. I always get that word. I always yeah, make up my own word around that, but, you know, that's me. Um, and for me, at least my interpretation of horses is horses cannot not be congruent. They're always congruent at least in my experience. And I think people in, in our organizations and uh, we think that we aren't being congruent or we're fighting to not be congruent. And there's a long-term uh, effect. And so I, that part of being humble is part of being congruent. And so I just think that's in addition to how we find trust and authenticity moving forward in creating shared leadership. Absolutely. Unfortunately, once again, time is up. Thank you for joining us in this conversation. Special shout out to one of my favorite listeners, BJ. Please tell me more about what you know about lemurs. I'd love to talk to you about what else we can learn from nature and apply to humans. Go forth and find your herd. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for listening to We Lead Radio. Be sure to join your hosts, June Gunter, Beth Hijack, Christine Erickson, and Morgan Ridenauer next Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, which is 10 a.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. And we'll see you on this same path next week.